Romans chapter 1. Glad to be here. Say amen. What a privilege it is to be in the house of the Lord. And I'm going to tell you all something. It is a privilege for this old lump of clay to be the pastor of Roxalana Gospel Tabernacle. Can't tell you how much I appreciate you all, the liberties you give me, the, the opportunities to preach the Word of God, try to teach it according to my convictions, the best I've done in trying to rightly divide the Scriptures and the support and the encouragement I get from you all. It's, it's like none other, and I appreciate it. It doesn't go without notice, and I'll tell you what, the Lord notes it too. The Lord notes it too. Well, we are uh, going to start tonight on our commentary about the book of Romans, chapter 1. I gave the introduction last week, and by the way, I put it up on the website along with, along with the uh, audio file, and I'll do the same tonight when I, when I put the audio file up on, on Sermon Audio. I'll, I'll send up my outline here, my commentary in the first seven verses and as long as I feel led to do that, and it takes a lot of effort and a lot of time, and it won't be the greatest commentary that you've ever read, but I'll still, or read, I'll still, I'll still put it up. I'm going to look at the first seven verses, 126 words. I counted them, by the way. And uh, it is the salutation of the Apostle Paul. That's, that's, the, that's the little... Uh, outline heading for this, the uh, salutation of the Apostle Paul. And it is, just, it is just pregnant with great information. There's just tons of stuff in here. And I say that in order to say this. I told you all last week I'm intimidated in teaching the book of Romans. I mean, it's way greater than I am, but it's not greater than God is. If I was tempting this on my own, I'd never do it. But I was talking to the Lord one time, and he told me, look, he said, as I was there with these men that wrote this scripture, I'll be with you when you're trying to declare it. And that really helped me, and it stuck stuck with me. Uh, So I I hope to be a blessing. Believe me when I say this, there'll probably, not probably, there will be more left unsaid when we get done than what I say. We could get to the end of Romans chapter 16 if we ever get there before the Lord comes. Like I told you last week, I die. We could start back over in chapter 1 and find so much more that we missed on the second time around that it's just amazing. But nonetheless, let's begin reading in verse 1, trusting, the leaning, uh, trusting in the Lord, leaning on Him. The writer begins, and it is Paul. And look now how he begins this. A servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel. Wow. He said, which he hath afore ordained, afore, which he hath promised afore by his prophets and the Holy Scriptures, speaking of the Old Testament, of course, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made the seed of David, uh, which was made the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection. From the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, 
as we as we begin this study, I, I I tell you what, I think it's an amazing thing to have been living at that day, to be a part of the church, and somebody would run up to you and say, Hey, we just got a letter from the Apostle Paul. Could you imagine that? You know what? We ought to still be intrigued and, and excited about the Word of God. Could somebody say amen about that? This book that is before me and lays in your lap, you hold in your hand, wherever you have it near your person, there is no book like this book. And as we begin to study the great truths that we find here in the book of, of Romans, I'll tell you what, we, we, we start early discovering just how amazing and great this message is. In fact, I believe it could be argued, as other people have already said, that it could be the masterpiece of the Apostle Paul. And although he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, I said, I cannot help but hear and see and feel the heartbeat of God expressing itself in a letter to a place and a people that he longed to be with with each stroke of his pen. Paul comes out, his heart comes out, in this salutation and in this introduction of himself to the church of Rome, the people of Rome, among whom he had never been. Some of them he had seen his face before, like Aquila and Priscilla and no doubt others. But Paul was wanting them to know uh, this man that wrote this epistle. Now I believe that the Apostle Paul wrote 14 epistles, which would include uh, the letter to, to the Hebrews. And uh, you may agree or disagree. If you want to be wrong, you'll disagree. But nonetheless, y'all supposed to laugh. Uh, nonetheless, nonetheless, I've got reasons, a lot of reasons why I believe Paul, in sincerity, uh, actually penned or wrote, wrote, the, wrote the letter to, to the Hebrews. To me, it's obvious reasons, maybe not to others, but to me. But I'll tell you what, friend, I believe this is touched with the fragrance of heaven as we begin to look at it, and I know it's touched with the Spirit of God. So, look at how Paul begins. Let me ask you a question. Now, if you were the Apostle Paul, you'd have wrote this the same way. But have you ever looked at this and wondered why Paul put in order the things that he said about himself? He said, first of all, he was a servant. Second of all, he was an apostle, which is a big deal. And third, he said he was separated into the gospel. Would you all think that would be wrong if Paul said, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, separated of the gospel, and, and a servant of Jesus? Y'all think that would be wrong? It wouldn't. But look where Paul saw himself. This speaks volumes about the apostle Paul. Now, he knew what he was. He knew what God had called him to. He knew that, listen, he knew that being an apostle was a big deal. But when he introduces himself to the church of Rome, he starts with telling them that he was a doulos, D-O-U-L-O-S, in the Greek, which means a bond servant or actually a bond slave. Turn quickly with me, if you will, to the book of Jude, and let's look at a parallel passage in that. Men are, men are proud. Would you all agree with that? I remember, I remember the altar praying one time, and, and uh, uh, I was praying, and I was sincere. I said, Lord, keep me humble. Anybody else ever guilty of praying that? Say amen. Lord, keep me humble. That shows you how proud we are right there. Do you know what the Spirit of God said to me? He said, son, listen. It's not keep you humble. You ought to pray, Lord, make me humble. 
I've not prayed that prayer. Lord, keep me humble since that night. Can't tell you where I was at. I believe it was over at Freedy early on in my Christian walk with the Lord. But the audacity I thought about myself, I said, Lord, keep me humble. When in fact, when I said what I did, proved that I was anything but. Look, folks, many times we need to be broken. We need to be made humble. That's what God's working on. But look how Jude starts his letter. Who was Jude? Before you read on, wait just a minute. Who was Jude? He was what? Brother of James and who else? Half-brother of Jesus. Now, don't you think we like to toot our own horns? You know, I'm Dr. So-and-so. Now, I'm not against anybody using any kind of legitimate... Uh, uh, recognition title that they have. But I'll be honest with you, man, when I'm somewhere or somebody comes to visit here and they introduce themselves to me, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm pastor so-and-so. You know, when they're not pastoring and they're looking for a church or I'm evangelist so-and-so, I'm preacher, that, that worries me. You know the Bible says that promotion cometh from the Lord. I mean, it worries me. Flags go up everywhere. Now, there are certain times introduce yourself. Like my, my friend, David Gerald, he's got a legitimate Ph.D. in Christian education. It's legitimate. He earned it. He worked for it. There's nothing wrong with it. But I just find it remarkable how that both Jude and Paul, in a similar way, introduce themselves. Jude, and look at what he says, the doulos or the servant of Jesus Christ. I didn't know whether you all connected those two. And he goes on to say, and brother of James to them that are sanctified by God. Man, I'll tell you what, it'd been pretty important. It'd been okay to me if he'd have said Jude, the half-brother of Jesus. But boy, I'll tell you what, he looked back on his life and how no doubt he treated Jesus before he was converted. And he thought, I don't have the right, the privilege to do that. I'll just tell him I'm a brother of James and let him figure the rest of it out for themselves. He said, so he's the servant of Jesus Christ. Now it's a simple introduction without a doubt, but, but it's important too. Now when he's talking about a slave, what, what do you think he's talking about? When he, when he said, now look, he said, I'm, I'm a bond slave. I'll give you all some homework. I thought about looking at it, but I, I don't want to take time. I don't think the Spirit of the Lord would have it. Y'all, if y'all would look in the book of Exodus 21 tonight, and read the first, read the first six verses I think with, with you thinking about this first, the fact that Paul said, I am a, a, a doulos or a servant of the Lord, a bond slave, a bond servant, it would do you good. I'll tell it in, in, quick, in quick speed. In, in the days of the Old Testament, when the children of Israel were getting ready to go in the land of Egypt, God made it such to where if a man got in some kind of financial trouble, some kind of situation, he could sell himself to a brother. He would become a bond servant to him. And if while he was there during that period of time, that man, if, he, if, if the guy that he became a bondservant of, give him a wife and they had children, when his time was up, when, when, when his stated time, whether it was seven years or, or, or whether it was in the year of Jubilee, whatever the case may be, whatever was contracted out, when he, when he, when he worked out what he owed or what he, get, what he uh, obligated himself to, if he fell in love with his master at that time, or if he fell in love with his wife and his kids, you know what he could do? He could tell the master, he said, I don't want to leave. He said, I don't want to leave. I want to stay your servant the rest of my life. And, and the guy that owned him would take him to, to, to the, to the uh, doorpost, and he would take an awl and put a hole in his ear. And that was an indication that he was a lifetime bond servant. 
You know what? There's a whole lot of things on that about, about Jesus in typology and about us too. But I think that's what Paul saw himself as. Turn, turn a couple pages over to Romans 3 and, and look at verse 24 with me. And let me illustrate this. In Romans 7, 14, you don't have to look at that. Paul referred to himself as someone being sold under sin. And when the apostle Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, when Jesus found him, Paul wasn't looking for Jesus, and neither are we when we're lost. Y'all know that? I mean to tell you, the Lord runs us down with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. But anyway, Paul wasn't looking for the Lord. The Lord was looking for Paul. He knew where to find him. And when he met Jesus, he was, he was sold under sin. In other words, he was a slave. Can I tell you all, brothers and sisters, before we come to Christ, we were sold under sin? All of us were a slave to sin, to self, to Satan. We were born a sinner. That, that's how we became a sinner. We don't sin but, uh, it, to, to become a sinner. We sin because we are a sinner. But then after a while we grow up and, and we begin to sin by practice, by choice. And when we meet Jesus, friend, you know where he comes to meet us? He comes to meet us in the slave market of sin. Listen to what he said in verse 20, 24 of chapter 3. He said, and when I get here the next time, I, I, I won't take as much time. I'll just refer you back to this maybe. He said, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Man, that word redemption is an amazing word. It means to, 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 to be bought by someone paying a price. It has to do with a ransom. Hey, listen, friend, when you and I met Jesus... We were sold under sin. Let me illustrate it just like if you've got a Schofield Bible, he lays it out like this. So does other writers if you read and dig in this. He uses three words to illustrate what happens when Jesus finds us. When he finds us, he finds us as if we were standing on an auction block in a slave market. And, and I know in this day when there's a lot of... Um, bad ideas or, or, or trouble looking back at the slave problems in America. I'm against that. I've never favored of it. I've never, I've never agreed with that. But slavery didn't start when America did. You all do know that, right? So it, 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 it's just not started here. So I'm not trying to use anything on a negative connotation or in native, negative terms. Just dealing with something that's a fact. When, when Paul was illustrating it, he said, look, when he found me, when he, when he found me in the slave market, he purchased me there. That, that's one of the words for redemption. In the, in the Greek, it's ag, agorazo. I've listened to it several times. That's what it is. I can tell you how it's spelled A-D-O-R-A-Z-O. Agorazo. It means that when he found me, when he bought me, he found me in the slave market and he bought me there. Now that's amazing. Why did he buy him? Well, here's what he tells him. He bought him in the slave market to buy him out. He found him in the slave market, and his intent was to take him out of the slave market. It's ex adgarazo. Ex meaning out of. Ek or ex is out of. So he found him, sold to sin, and he bought him there to bring him out. I was told one time, or I read actually a story and this is how I remember it. It may not be exact and perfect that one day President Lincoln went down to the slave market and there was a young girl on the slave box and they were bidding for her. And 
The story goes that President Lincoln, he bid for her and bought her. And when he bought her, he was paying the auctioneer the price. And when he gave the auctioneer the price for they, what they were axing and what they was bid for, he just turned around and walked away. The story goes that she went up to him and said, Sir, said, said I'm yours. And he said, No, you're not mine. said, I bought you to set you free. He said, I bought you in the slave market, but I bought you out of it. He said, she said, he said, you're free. She said, well, what do you want me to do? And she said, I'll do anything. He, he said, you can do anything you want to. I paid the price. You've been ransomed. You've been purchased. You're free. You know what she told him? She said, I'll serve you. I, now, see, y'all didn't act real good on that. That's what we ought to do. The last one is Lutro, L-O-U-T-R-O-O. Meaning, friend, that he set us free. And here's the, here's the deal on this word. To, and, and assures us that we'll never go back into the slave market again. Isn't that amazing? Now listen, no wonder Paul was willing to say, I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, when Jesus found him, when he found him in the book of Acts, on, on the road to Damascus, from that moment forward, all that Paul was, all that Paul had, all that Paul uh, uh, wanted, all that belonged to Paul belonged to the Lord. He was no longer his own. But he said, I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe tonight, folks, he understood what it means to be purchased by the Lord. Y'all know we are too. How many of you in here know that we're not our own? We've been bought with a price. How many of you in here have ever read a verse of Scripture or heard it quoted or quoted it yourself where he says that we are a peculiar people? Y'all remember that? Now, he's, Peter's not talking about we're strange, First Peter 2. He, he's, you know what peculiar people means? It means that you and I, now listen, see, this will get you happy if you let it. It means that you and I are a purchased possession. We, we don't belong to ourselves. We, we've been bought with the blood. Peter tells us that we've been redeemed, not with corruptible things such as silver and gold received of the vain tradition of our Father, but with the precious blood of a lamb slain without spot and blemish. Isn't that wonderful? Man, that'll put you on shouting ground if you would, right, without a doubt. And Paul knew that. Paul said, look, when he met Jesus that day at Calvary, he didn't know what was going on. He was blinded for three days. Man, I want, you ever wonder what he thought about those three days? He couldn't see anything. I mean, here this great accomplished Pharisee what was in the dark, literally, until man and I, sent by God, went to him and said, look, you tell him, and I'll get on this in a little while, he's a chosen vessel, all right? Tell him he's going to stand before kings and priests. And I believe from that point on, he had a desire to go to Rome. I believe that day when Ananias spoke to him, I believe he thought, man, I'm going to Rome. I'm going to stand before Caesar. And, and in essence, he did. Hey, listen, folks, God's got a plan for us. And you know what we ought to do? We ought to surrender and submit. And, and may I say this? How many of you in here are saved? Say amen. All right, look, it's a difference to be a, a, a follower of Christ and to be a disciple of Christ. Being a, being a follower of Christ doesn't cost you anything. You just put your faith in Christ. But becoming a disciple of Christ, and Miss Meeks would say this if she was here, she would say it costs you everything. Did y'all get that? You know, in the New Testament, when, when a lot of people will use Scripture like, 
Luke 9. I don't know why I'm on here. It's not in my notes, Greg, but the Lord's doing the leading here, not me. You remember the scripture in chapter 9 when it talks about if a man put his hand to the plow, look back, he's not fit for the kingdom of heaven. Let me, let me tell you two things about that. It's not talking about backsliding, losing your salvation. Ever heard me say this? Say amen. has nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with that. But what it does have to do is with people becoming a disciple of Christ. People, that's talking about discipleship. Man, listen, you can be a follower of Christ. You can be like Peter, follow him afar off. But to be in the inner circle, to be one of those three that, that Peter, James, and John was, or to be like those two great men of David that, that just heard, heard the king say, boy, I'd like to have a drink of the well, or the water from the well in, in Bethlehem, and to have them break through the Philistine lines, going and coming, going to get the water, and coming back to give it to, to, to their king David. Being so close to him that, that, that just his whisper became their command. That, that, that's what I'd like to be, wouldn't you? I'd like to be like that. Tell you another time that I was praying. I was praying. I thought, man, Lord, you know, speak to me, speak to me, speak. Did you ever pray like that? God, speak to me. You know what the Lord told me that night when, when He spoke to me? Now, I didn't hear Him in audible voice. Some, I, y'all know me, what I'm talking about, but He just impressed in my spirit. He said, Son, it's not a matter of whether or not I'm speaking to you. The question is, are you listening to what I'm saying? He's always speaking. So, look, you ever, have, you ever, have you ever thought of yourself as a servant of Jesus Christ? I mean, I mean, if you were to introduce yourself to somebody, how, how would you do it? Well, I, you know, I, I'm a board member at Roxanne Gospel Tavern. I'm the pastor at Roxanne Gospel Tavern. I'm a choir leader at Roxanne Gospel. None of those things are wrong. You get me? Not, not a thing. I, I, I'm a good news club. What are you, director? Co-leader? And, and y'all have had how many saved? 200 and... 318. That'd be all right saying ever since we've done that seven years ago. We've, six years... Ten years. Lord, we're getting old. We've had 318 kids saved. They'll be perfectly all right. Are are y'all getting what I'm saying? Listen to Paul's heart, he said. And then I'm talking about the Apostle Paul. A man that spent a night and a day in the deep. A man that that received stripes, what, uh, 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 three times, 40 stripes, three times saved one. Uh, In pearls everywhere. And yet he said, look, hey, you guys down at Rome... The Senate was, when senators were, and all these big guys. They had a man even called Caesar Augustus. He said, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. Man, I'll tell you what, that humbles me. You know what, Steve? I'm going to get a stand beside him someday. Now, isn't that amazing? Me, being there with Paul. Now, what I do... I think as little at times, and I mean that. I'm, I'm just a, I, when I say I'm a lump of clay, folks, I mean I'm a lump of clay. But can I tell you what? If I'm as faithful to my calling as Paul is to him, that's what will make me be able to stand beside him. Besides the grace of God. Now, I'm not discounting God's grace. But isn't that amazing? And Paul said, I'm a servant. Man, that, that just... That just got all over me. And look what else he goes on now. He, he's not denying that he's an apostle. But he said, called to be an apostle. Now, what is an apostle? What, uh, what, what, what is their obligation and how do they become apostles? Let's look at all this. What is an apostle? Somebody, somebody describe or define an apostle. I know somebody had to see Christ, but more specific. 
after the resurrection. What else? He was a special individual chosen by God, sent with a special message, wasn't he, Greg? Yeah, that's a good way to say it. Good job. They did. Now, the qualifications to be an apostle was, number one, one of them was to have seen the resurrected Lord. What else? Here's the one that's important, and I think, I think we missed. Let me ask you another question. It's not a trick one, it's a good one. How many apostles were there? See, I believe there's 12, and I'll tell you why. I don't believe Matthias counted, and let me tell you why, okay? Now, I know there may be 13. That's okay if y'all agree with that. I mean, that, that's common. It's quite common. But you see, if I just come down here and tell y'all everything you think you already know, then this isn't much of a Bible study. But if I can stop you and make you think just a little bit and scratch your head and listen and dig in. Now, if I don't have good rationale, just, you know, kick me out or whatever. But, but, but look, two of the things that come to the top of everybody's list of them that, that were qualifications for a man to be an apostle was number one, like David said, had to have seen a resurrection Lord. Can I tell you all, the only man that I know of that could turn the apostle Paul around, who was Saul of Tarsus, was the man with nail scars in his hands. Not scars, excuse, forgive me, Lord. Nail prints in his hand. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus got in his way on the road to Damascus about, about midday in a light brighter than the sun, stopped the apostle Paul or stop Saul of Tarsus, who was to be the Apostle Paul. I don't believe any other man could have done that. I believe it had to be more than a man. So he saw the resurrected Savior. Now, there's some good Bible knowledge in there, so I want you to stretch yourself a little bit and think with me a little bit. What do you think the other requirement of becoming an apostle might be as you turn to Matthew 10? What? Chosen by Jesus, right. Had to be chosen, my opinion, by Jesus. Now, I've got a word to kind of emphasize on this to show you it's something that God told Ananias to tell Saul, who was becoming Paul, and it goes right along with what we find Jesus doing in Matthew chapter 10. Now, as you're turning there, I'm just going to read a little something I wrote. Matthew chapter 10, we're going to look at the beginning uh, of that chapter, and uh, I'll, I'll share something, a couple of things with you. Now, we know that it was prophesied in Psalm 109, Psalm 109, verse 8, that, and this is a quote, I'm not turning there, I'm just going by memory, so if you read it and it's a little bit off, forgive me, let another take his bishopric. Speaking about a man who would betray Jesus, he would fall, lose his standing in his state. It was a type of or a foreshadowment or a prophecy of the fall of Judas Iscariot. Let me tell you a few things about Judas Iscariot. Let me start with the most obvious. How many letters in the name Judas Iscariot? Anybody? How many? Thirteen. What's the number thirteen mean? Anybody? Rebellion. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Jesus knew, John said, after that Jesus had resurrected, he knew that Judas Iscariot was a devil from the beginning. Nobody else did. They trusted Judas Iscariot. Now, where did Judas Iscariot come from? Where didn't he come from? 
Where did all the other apostles come from? Where did Jesus choose them? What area? Galilee. I find it remarkable. The only one that wasn't chosen from Galilee was Judas Iscariot, and he came from Judea, from Judah. Why? There is much in that, if I could just dig and the Lord would just open up a little bit. There, there's something, something to that. We all know the story about him. Y'all know the new, uh, the, 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 the book of Acts began, something new. And uh, Peter knew the significance of, of the number 12 and all of that. And look now, listen, listen, as you read Acts 1, I believe their intent is good. We'll get to heaven, the Lord will tell me whether I'm right or wrong, and I'll be okay either way. He's okay with me thinking about this, digging like this, presenting uh, ideas to stir us and to challenge us. But that was before they had been infused with the Holy Spirit. They got together and said, look, we need somebody to replace him. They did remember the psalm. They quoted that, let another take his place, his bishopric. And you know what they did? How did they choose Matthias? Now, did God do that or man? Okay, y'all see where I'm building my case. Are y'all with me? Watch this in the book of Matthew, chapter 10. Let me give you another little nugget. Really, really quick. How long do y'all think the apostles walked with Jesus? Continually. I mean, they were with Him pretty much 24-7. How, how long? No, the, the common idea that He was doing public ministry for three and a half years. How long out of those three and a half years do y'all think that, that they were continually with Him? Chickens, aren't you? <laughs> well, most people say, a lot of people, without thinking three and a half years, and they get to thinking, then maybe three years. It's probably around two and a half years. Because look, we're over here in chapter 10 when he chooses, and a lot of things that's happened there. He had a Perean ministry, had a Galilee ministry, a Judean ministry. It's amazing. And look, look what he said. Now look, look at verse 1. Listen, please, and see if you can see the word that you think I'm going to emphasize. And when he had called unto him his, his 12 disciples, he gave them power, uh, against unclean spirits, to cast them out, to heal all manner of sickness, all manner of diseases. And the names of the twelve apostles are these. And by the way, Peter always is the first on the list. Anywhere you find the list of the apostles, excuse me, Peter heads it up. The first, Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the publican, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Labaius, or Labaius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, Judas is a carrot who also betrayed him. And I think, if I remember correctly, Judas always comes up on the last. But now, did y'all see anything in verse 1, a word or a phrase that kind of stood out to you? Called, bingo. That is the word. Now, if you were to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I don't know, along about verse 8 and 9, somewhere through there, Paul said, look, he said, now I'm as one born out of due season. That's all I'm going to give you there. Y'all just read and dig, but that's important. So go with me to the book of Acts. Uh, stop at chapter 6 of the book of John, but go on over to the book of Acts chapter, chapter 9. I've got it written down. I just need to look. I like to use my memory, though, what little bit I've got. Stop off chapter 6 of the book of, of John. I believe it's what I want. It is. 
And then we'll go on over into Acts. Everybody at the book of John chapter 6 say amen. I'll give you a little more time. We're in, we're in no hurry. We've got a little time. I love the Word of God. That's why, that's why Paul tells us to study. He said, study to shew thyself approved unto God a workman. A workman, right? Dividing the Word of God. You, you know what the picture of that is? You know what the picture of that is when Paul was writing to Timothy? He said, son, if you're going to be a workman, roll your sleeves up. Anybody ever been out working, you get hot, you're, I mean, you're laboring, you roll them sleeves up? That's exactly what Paul's saying. Said, roll your sleeves. Everybody's in John 6, say amen. Look with me down at verse 70. Let me pick it up in verse 67. Jesus is one of the greatest chapters there is in the Bible. It's, on the, it's a discourse on the bread of life. Phenomenal, phenomenal pastor. Jesus had just said a few verses earlier, look, he said, except you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can have no part of me. And the Bible says many went back and followed him no more. The exodus was so great from that crowd whom he had fed, which was 5,000 men, let alone women and children. The exodus was so great. Many people just followed Jesus because they could eat bread and get, get their tummy filled. They're just there just for the miracles. Nothing to do with about Jesus. What, what they can get from Jesus they want, but they don't want Jesus. Well, there's a lot of that today. Say amen. But look at what he says. It was so great, then Jesus said unto the twelve, will you go away also? And I love Peter. Boy, Peter gets it right sometime. He said, then Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And listen to the verbiage now that Jesus uses, and Jesus answered them, Have not I, what's the next word, chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil. Over in the book of Acts, chapter, chapter 9, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna see something here. It's pretty amazing, I think. It's pretty amazing. Chapter 9 of the book of Acts. And I'll pick it up. I'll pick it up in verse 9 and read down through. We've, we've got time. Now this is, again, the chapter that records the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul the Apostle. Pharisee became a preacher. A murderer became a, a proclaimer of eternal life. It's pretty amazing the thing that happened when he found Jesus, and so it is in our life. In verse 9, everybody there say amen. All right, good. And he was there... Three days without sight, neither did eat nor drink. Now, after that he was confronted with Jesus, he, he was blind. Scales formed on his eyes. They had to lead him into Damascus. He was taken, where was it at? The straight street? Is that where it's at? I can't remember. But anyway, he was put there, and God talked to Ananias. And listen, so there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias... And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for he prayeth. Right there's a paradox. Paul wasn't much of a praying man before that, I'll tell you. But Saul of Tarsus, no doubt in my mind, got Ananias' attention. Paul had a reputation. You all do know that. I mean, Paul was forging... Uh, new things that, that Pharisees before him had never done. He was bold, he was brazen, and he had murder in his heart. That's what was in it. He had a writ of, of, uh, of, uh, of arrest, I guess I could call it, in his pocket, but he had murder in his heart when Jesus found him that day. 
And God told Ananias, he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in, putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. I imagine Paul, listen, in his mind and in his spirit was turning somersaults. He was trying to figure this out. I don't believe he talked much, but he could see all this stuff in his head and in his heart. Isn't that amazing? I mean, to tell you, for three days, I'd like to know some of the stuff God was talking to him about. And then it took him three years. By the way, I told you all a while ago, about how long did Jesus spend with the apostles every day? How long? I said two and a half, three years, right? How many years was Paul in the Arabian desert? Three years. There's no coincidence in the Bible. Y'all do know that, don't you? All right, look, go on. He said, then Ananias said, Lord, <laughs> I've heard of him. Now, who would want it? You know, Ananias thinking, man, this is a trick. As sure as I go there, I'm a dead man. I'm arrested, I'm in prison, I'm a dead man. He said, by many of this man, how much evil he had done to the saints of Jerusalem. And he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call upon thy name. What's the next word? Boy, it changes all things, does it not? But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a what? Y'all see why I believe God chose Paul and not Matthias? You see why I believe that Peter and, and, and the other ten and the 120 that were in the upper room, they had a great desire. Anybody else ever got ahead of God besides me and Peter and the, and the other ten? Anybody else ever got in the way of God? Ever, ever put your will before God's will? Anybody else guilty besides me? Don't shake your head no. We all have, right? Now look, I, again, I'm not trying to throw Peter and, and those people in the upper room under the bus. I believe they were excited. I believe they were troubled. I believe they were worried. But I believe they just got ahead of the Lord. I believe their intentions. You ever, you ever do something with good intentions but it proved to be wrong? Anybody? Y'all are too quiet. When you get too quiet, you worry me. You hear me? You worry me. But he said, look, now he said, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will shew him how great thing. He must suffer my, for my name's sake. Right? Sure. He's talking about himself now. Well, have you ever talked about yourself in, 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 in third person? Yeah, I mean, I, mean I, I used to do that more than I do now. Since I, since, since I went to school and, and started learning the power of words in a lot of ways as a counselor, I don't do that very much. I, I rarely talk about myself in the third person. But if you'd call, if you'd call and he'll probably hear this, if you'd call the, uh, the number of my friend David Gerald down in, in, uh, in South Carolina... He'll say, you know, sorry, couldn't get your call. Said, you know, leave your name and number, whatever. And, and, and when I can, we'll get back to you. Me, myself, and I. You follow what I'm saying? So th that's what he's talking about. He's... Now, the word apostle, and I was going to get on this down here, but I'll do it now. The word apostle is used for Barnabas, for instance. All right? But it's not the same as the a apostle. It's used as somebody that has been sent with a message. Right? But it's not exactly the same. Just there, there, there's a differentiation there. Uh, it, it's kind of like using it in a generic way. Follow what I'm saying? I mean, I mean there is a difference. There's a difference in the, in the 12 and then somebody coming along of late like Matthias. They called him an apostle. 
uh, again, Barnabas an apostle, and I can't remember others, but there's two or three others you'll find signified in the book of Acts. They refer to him as an apostle. I got you. It's a great question. Oh, it's a great question. And, and the reason being, I understand, and they were sent... See, yeah, exactly. But that doesn't mean that they had met the qualifications for an apostle, but they were somebody sent with a message. See what I'm saying? So that's where context really comes in to really understand what the Word of God has to say. We've got to understand the Word, but also the context where we find the Word. That's where rightly dividing goes. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, read it, Greg, since you're there. And they referred to Barnabas along with Paul as apostles. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, like, it's probably a poor illustration, but it's the only one that's coming to me right now. I can say I love you, and I look at Debbie and say I love her. Is that a true statement? But is my love different for Debbie than it is for you? Yeah, yeah and, and it is, but it, it's, it's in a similar sense. That's what I say, context will demand. They were sent with a message, but they weren't chosen by God, and they didn't necessarily see. Nowhere do we see that Barnabas saw the resurrected Lord. So there, there's a differentiation. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was direct from him. Yeah, so good, good verse. Man, I should have remembered that after teaching through Galatians. That's good, so... He was just a follower of Christ that lived in Damascus. I don't know much about his history at all. Anybody else know anything about Ananias? He could trust him. He was obedient. Yeah, yeah he was a godly man. Godly man without a doubt. Well, I hope, hope gives you something to chew on, think about. Um, Bible study, listen, I've told you all this before. My job isn't to answer all your questions. It's to provoke you to Bible study. That's what Bible study is, to provoke Bible study. So hopefully every now and then I'll accomplish that. We'll pick it back up here next week. We'll see that he was separated under the gospel. And oh, by the way, so have we been. All right? So, all right. Uh, Don?